Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. In this episode, we'll go behind the scenes of director Theodore Melfi's new film, Hidden Figures, which tells the incredible true story of Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson, three African-American female mathematicians working at NASA who were tasked with making the calculations to launch astronaut John Glenn into orbit and guaranteeing his safe return. In addition to Hidden Figures, Mr. Melfi's credits include the feature films St. Vincent and Winding Roads, and the short films I Want Candy, Rochambeau, The Beneficiary, and The Story of Bob. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Mr. Melfi discussed the making of Hidden Figures with fellow director John Patrick Shanley. In their conversation, Mr. Melfi talks about turning down an offer to direct a Spider-Man film in favor of Hidden Figures, collaborating with Pharrell Williams and Hans Zimmer on music for the film, and his reasons behind casting actresses Taraji P. Henson, Janelle Monet, and Octavia Spencer as the three women at the center of the story. Thank you. Well, you know, I had no idea what to expect, and uh, I have to say I was very moved. I thought that, um, especially in the time that we're living in, we need to be reminded of how hard it is to move forward uh, and against very strong headwinds, and how having a you know a positive and strong dream uh, is a unifying thing. Um, so for me, I just personally want to thank you uh, at this moment in history for reminding us of how hard it is to accomplish anything, uh, whether that's racially or uh, technologically or in any other way. Uh, and, uh, you know, I lived through that time, and really bad stuff happened after that. Uh, and made it seem like everything that had been accomplished was falling apart. And yet, we were able, after that regression, to again leap forward. And this film reminded me that I should be optimistic. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, we, we thought we'd be running parallel with, uh, with the times, but we're not, we're running perpendicular, as you know. Um, for me, it was, uh, you know, I didn't grow up at that time, so for me, it was a chance to really discover it, which, you know, growing up in, I went to public school here in Brooklyn, um, and they don't teach that, they don't teach civil rights, you'd be amazed. It's a blip, it's a blip, space program's a blip, those women are not even a blip. So for me to discover that was the main impetus for me to do it, to educate myself and to educate my two daughters who know nothing about this, and a chance to put something positive out in the world. Well, and you know, when you excavate something like this, and you and every filmmaker here, it no longer is a blip, you know? 
uh, you reinstate stuff that's in danger of being forgotten, and so uh, it's a necessary and um, uh, educational uh, thing that you do for for the for the world. You know, so this is a, a, a world forum. And then you know, just to talk about the another kind of accomplishment, which is. You know, you're, you're telling a story about uh, 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 racial progress under very difficult circumstances and technological progress under difficult circumstances in a period film. What were you up against? I mean, it seems to me like you were up against yeah. a lot. You had to recreate the space program, uh, you know. It's all the things they say you shouldn't do <laughs> in, in, a, in a movie, really, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it was it was daunting. Maybe that's one of the main reasons I, I uh, wanted to take it on. It was just such a huge challenge to juggle the space program when everyone knows how it ends, right? We all know John Glenn gets home. Uh, so I just threw myself into the women's lives, you know, because that's the story we don't know. Um, you know, in the, in the late 50s, Eisenhower mandated the hiring of females in the workforce and government jobs. And uh, he didn't include black women at first until he got pressure from the NAACP, and that opened the floodgates for that. And and for me to study all that and to realize, you know, NASA at the time, uh, and still today, it was probably the most progressive place to work in the world, mm -hmm. right? I mean, do you think about the, the internet, like the internet startup of their day, if you can imagine that? And so they they at the start of the space program, they couldn't find. Um, enough technicians, they couldn't find enough mathematicians to do the work. Because men thought the work was clerical and secretarial and would not take those positions. Mm. So they were forced into finding women. And they searched the entire country and they, they came up with 30 white women and formed the East Computing Group. And that wasn't enough. So they opened up to black women and they found 22 black women. But they were a segregated workspace. So they were put in a different building, different bathrooms, different cafeterias. Uh, and it was only through their work and their accomplishments that, that NASA became desegregated, in a, in a way. And so how, what was the genesis of how did you come to find yourself wanting to tell this story and uh, co-writing the screenplay? Well, I mean, from a, from a you know, nuts and bolts, you know, time progression of it, the, the start of it was a 54-page manuscript, a book proposal by Margaret Lee Shetterly. Margot Lee Shetterly, the novelist of the book, um, grew up at Langley in Virginia uh, with her father, who was a research scientist at NASA, and a black man. And she grew up at barbecues with Katherine Johnson and Dorothy Vaughn and Mary Jackson. And she would always ask her dad, Daddy, who are these women? And he said, those are the mathematicians. And so she started just becoming obsessed with the story. Um, one of the main reasons the story is missing from our history books is because that's such, such a short period of time, right? So, because the IBM comes in, and when that IBM comes in, goodbye, the whole program is gone. So you're dealing with three years, four years of history. Um, and so that book proposal got to Don Gelati, who produced the, the, who produced the movie. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of Don Gelati, you know, Shakespeare in Love and The Reader, and. Uh, civilized playbook, she has impeccable taste. Um, she went crazy over the manuscript, as you can imagine, uh, 
and she just I happened to, it happened to land on my uh, on my desk and I at the time um I was up for Spider-Man. I was I was going I was going to direct the next Spider-Man. It was down to me and another gentleman, the guy who got Spider-Man and I had been going through the Spider-Man process for 4 months, you know, trying to get this job to do Spider-Man. And every every Monday was going to be the final answer, you know. Oh, we'll tell you Monday. We'll tell you Monday. It's like a bill collector. But anyway, to tell you Monday. Um, and so I got this manuscript on a Friday night, and I was, I said, I, I, I read it over the weekend, and then on Monday I quit Spider-Man. Wow. I, I, I withdrew from Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. And everyone thought I was crazy. And I said, well, there's times in life when, if I never make another film, I feel like I've done something. I feel like I've done something. Whether I have done something or not, I don't know, but I feel like I've done something that actually my daughters can watch. Mm -hmm. It actually puts light out in the world. And plus, they're still shooting Spider-Man, so I'd be there for <laughs> another six years. Yeah. And casting? Uh, I always, I've been in love with Taraji P. Henson's work since The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, if you guys remember that. Um, just staggering work, right? And anyone who could do that in Cookie on Empire can surely, surely play a mathematician. <laughs> I mean, she could do anything. Um, you know, she's just... I mean, to me, she's just one of the greatest actors around. She just inhabited that role. She visited Katherine Johnson with me, studied her mannerisms, and just completely disappeared. Mm -hmm. uh, Octavia, I've always been in love with her work. I mean, Octavia's like the, the Mariana Rivera, to me, of actors. Mm. Uh, and then, and Janelle Monet, you know, with Mary Jackson, Mary Jackson was the fire, the, the fire. She's the fire. She's the one of the group that fought uh, everything at NASA. So the, the behind-the-scenes story of Mary Jackson, Mary became that first African-American aeronautical engineer. 20 years she did that job. At the end of the 20 years, she says, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go into HR and take a pay cut. And everyone was like, why? She said, I just want to help other people. Hmm. She goes into HR. She hacks into NASA's computing program and figures out they're not hiring or, or, or promoting women in the same rate as men. And she goes about to fix the system. That's Mary Jackson. I mean, she's an extraordinary woman. Wow. Uh, and so Janelle Monet came in and auditioned, and she like she has that fire. She's an activist. She's a she's just so full of vim and vigor, and she's just uh, she just ki she killed it from a, from an mm -hmm. acting standpoint. Um, Kevin Costner, uh, you know, Kevin Costner's I think uh, who I want to be when I grow up. Right. <laughs> I mean. He's just a good human. He he just he was he was to me he would be the example for white male America, white male leadership, um, breaking down that sign. I mean, you want Kevin Costner breaking down that sign because yeah. we need that sign broken down just as much today as we as we did then, right? Um, Jim Parsons, I know from commercial work. I do a lot of commercial work and met Jim there and Kirsten Dunst. Uh, I wanted people really likable people and very dislikable roles. I, I just think it's easier to take, you know, because those, those are not easy roles. And Jim and Kirsten very, very much struggled with those parts because they're so antithetical to who they are as people. Mm. Uh, and Kirsten and, and Octavia are very close. Mm. And so those scenes are very hard to do, especially that bathroom scene. Yeah. It was very hard for Kirsten. And I just have to point out that moment in the film when she's handed the chalk for the second time. It's just killer. 
<laughs> That's a very moving moment to me. Uh, I, I, you know, it, to me, it's the simple things in life. Mm -hmm. um, not to not to uh, discount our profession, but there there are only six shots in the world, right? If you think about it, uh, and it's just the, it's the emotion within the shot that's what matters. Mm -hmm. And to shoot it the same way is just a, just a piece. It's just a piece of chalk, but everyone brings this piece of chalk up, and everyone brings up. The shot of the women walking, you know, migrating from the uh, East West Computing Group down down the hallway, and, the, and the, to me, they're very simple shots. It's, it's the actor. It's the actors. I mean, I can't take, you know, I, I wish I could say I was a genius, but I'm not. Um, it's just the emotion you create, you know, within how it all adds up to tone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'd like to open it up to questions from the audience. Uh, what do you got? I'm sorry, I'm a little blind, so wave wildly. <laughs> so the question, I'm supposed to repeat the questions, is, and you're talking about the, the composer, yes? Yeah, because yeah, also the, the, the music that you chose was fantastic. Uh, but you're wondering whether or not the composer was aware of the shots of the running back and forth between buildings. Mm -hmm. Did you do a spotting session with the composer or a sort of pre-spotting session where you talked about that kind of idea? Yeah, but it started, it's, Pharrell was involved from the very beginning. Mm. I mean, very beginning. Uh, Pharrell grew up in, in 20 miles from there, in mm. Virginia. He's a space nut, he's a feminist, he's met Katherine Johnson when he was a kid. So he found out about the story and he had a meeting with Donna Gelati and he flipped out, right? And so he, he said, I want to I want to be involved. And so we wanted him to produce it because he's he has such great energy for it. Uh, he, I see. We had, then we met, and and, I, and he said, "What do you want out of the music?" And I said, "Well, you know, in every period movie you see, you know, it's period music, which is fantastic, right? But I, maybe maybe we could have music that sounds period, that harkens back to the 1960s, but it's today." And he goes, "I have just a thing." He was working on something. And so he sent me a bunch of songs, and I was, I was floored. The first song he sent me was uh, uh, Abel, which is playing when John Glenn's migrating at the same time Catherine's running. To, and I was blown away. And then he read the script right away, and he said, so she has to run from the bathroom 20 minutes? I go, yeah, 20 minutes. And he wrote running like two days later hmm. and sent running. And then, he, then after he got to the end of the script, because he'd, he'd read the script, he'd write, He'd read a little more, he'd write. He got to the end, he said, the end is going to be I see a victory, which he goes, which is what I want to you know, put out in the world for today. Mm. So he's been tremendous. And then, and then he said, for composer, uh, who do you have in mind? I said, I don't, really, you know, I don't really have anyone in mind. He goes, how about Hans Zimmer? And I go, I, I guess he's OK, right? <laughs> and so he brought Hans Zimmer and Ben Walfish, and he's just been tremendous. Mm. What else we got? Over here? So the question is, the, uh, Philip Kaufman's film, The Right Stuff, is a, a, a nice companion piece for this film, and did you watch that? Did that influence you in any way? I, I've obviously seen The Right Stuff, but years and years and years ago, and I refused to watch it again, <laughs> so I wouldn't be polluted. You know, I mean, I wanted to discover the space race through my own eyes, uh, so I didn't watch, I didn't rewatch it or restudy it. What I did do was dig into other things that I 
wasn't as, as uh, knowledgeable about. Uh, like there's a brilliant documentary on the civil rights, Eyes, Eye on the Prize. Right? I watched that a dozen times and studied every aspect of it. Uh, there's a great NASA documentary called When We Left Earth, which is really digs deep into the Mercury program, and I studied that. And, and those are the more off offshoot things than the right stuff. Yeah, but I had an agent call me, which is a great story, trying to pitch um, Glenn Powell, who plays John Glenn, and he sends me an email and he goes, "I got I got just the guy. He he's 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 perfectly perfectly your Ed Harris." <laughs> so. And I said, you should not be aging, but that's <laughs> Great use of our uh, integration of archival footage as well. We had, no, we had very little, low budget movie, really. Uh, and it was I had to figure out how to pull off the space race. And I just kept, <laughs> I just kept trying to trick the studio. I kept putting one little, one little stock footage shot and I said, yeah, but we need one CG shot to go with it. And eventually we got 300 CG shots and mostly stock and mixed them together and somehow it seems to work. Hmm. What do we got? How many days did it take to shoot the film? 43 days. Jesus. In Atlanta, Georgia. No reshoots. Yeah, wow. So good. Yeah, thank you. Mm. It's very lucky. Pre production? Pre production standard, six, uh, six, seven weeks. Mm -hmm. Standard. Mm -hmm. Did you hear that? Yeah, she's asking if there's anything in the movie that I really loved, you know, that didn't actually make it into the film. Um, as is the case with everything, as you guys know, as directors, it's just how it is. I had a whole storyline with um, Mary Jackson's husband, Levi Jackson, who was a, a civil rights activist. And so that protest scene with the dogs, he was right in, in that fighting the, the cops. Mm -hmm. uh, he then shows up later in his barn with a gun after a protest and has an argument with his wife. Um, those are the things I miss. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's two hours, you know, it's, it's, it's practical and it's also, it's, and aside from practical, it's also, uh, I, I'm trying to do so much and maybe I'm doing too much as, as it is. Mm. And so now to open up a Levi Jackson can of worms, it was like, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't make it make sense in my mind. Mm. But I miss those scenes. How much artistic license did you take in retelling the personal lives of these actual people? Uh, very little with Katherine Johnson. So, so Katherine Johnson's alive. She's 98 today. Not today, but she's 98 now. Um, spent time with her, interviewing her, meeting her family, meeting her children. Uh, Jim Johnson's alive. They live together. Um, Jim Johnson's exact quote is, uh, I know marrying you includes marrying your girls as well. So all these details are almost exactly pulled out of their, their history. She was, uh, John Glenn's exact quote, get the girl to run the numbers. If she says they're good, I'm good to go. These are exact quotes, you know, you can find them on NASA archives. Uh, she's not, you know, she's almost, you know, within reason, right? You're making a movie. It, I mean, it took her three days to do those calculations at the end. I mean, we can't sit here for three days, so it's like <laughs> 30 seconds. Um, there's less documentation on Dorothy Vaughn, uh, mostly because of Dorothy Vaughn's character. She put everyone ab above herself and never took credit for anything. 
So with interviews with, with her children and grandchildren, we got most of her story. Her story is um, she left her husband. This is, this, is, this, is, this is how bold these women were. She tells her husband, she's a, she's a teacher, she tells her husband, I want a better life for my kids, and I want to, for our kids, and I want a better job. And NASA paid three times the amount of a teacher. In those days, a black woman can be a teacher or a nurse. And she said, I'm taking my kids, and I'm moving to the city, and I'm getting this job at NASA. And he said, I'll stay here and take care of the farm. And she took four children on her own and went to Langley and worked for NASA for 30-something years. Um, her story is 100% accurate in terms of she, without her, none of those women had jobs. She fought for all of them. She learned how to Fortran program before anyone else Fortran program could program. She migrated her woman over to those jobs. When that program got disbanded, many, many, many of the white women were let go because they didn't have the training. And Dorothy Vaughn got in there, had the foresight to get in there and train them. And then she trained white women and she trained everyone. So her story is 100% accurate in, in those regards. Mary Jackson, we know a little bit more than Dorothy. Uh, her husband wasn't an activist, which speaks to this question here. Like, and so that was a stretch. I was stretching it. He was a shipbuilder mm -hmm. and a ship painter. Um, but I wanted more of a civil rights you know, feeling in the movie and someone to represent the other side of civil rights, you know, the, the, the guy who was not going to take anymore, right? Um, so that wasn't accurate, which, but that, that didn't make the cut, right? So um, Mary did become the first African-American aeronautical engineer in the, in the country and in, at NASA. She did fight to get into a segregated school. She got into school. She took the night classes. All these things are, are you know, pretty spot on. Does that answer the question, I think? Okay. Uh, maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. You know, look. Uh, you, it's not a documentary. I'm sorry, so the, so the question is, uh, do you feel that you took too much liberty with the facts in making the story work? Uh, it's, well, it's not a documentary, as we all know. It's, it's, it's painfully hard to do a... Uh, a biopic, especially that the biopic is about people you don't know, right? So maybe it's easier to do a biopic with people you know because everyone knows it's got to be this way, right? You know, John F. Kennedy was this way, Martin Luther King was this way. Um, the things I did stretch, I, I cut out of the movie because I hated myself for it. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Catherine Gr fights to get into that, la gets into that last room, and Kevin Costner lets her into the last room, the Mission Command, right? And John Glenn's on the phone, and he tells him about the trajectory numbers, everything is okay. And, and uh, Kevin originally said, well, you could thank her yourself, she's right here. And she stepped up to the, <laughs> to the phone, and they, she talked to John Glenn on the launch pad, which I, I thought was absolutely ridiculous. But I shot it. And we tested it, and the audience like flipped out over it. Like, oh, it was very emotional. You know, Catherine's talking to John Glenn. It's like that. It's that movie moment, right? The main character is finally talking to the hero, of, or, the, or the, both heroes are talking to each other. And it was just so false and awful, and and I would have hated myself for the rest of my life. And <laughs> things like that are gone. You know, things like Levi Jackson being a civil rights activist are gone. So I stretched a lot in the script, and then I unstretched in the edit. She was the first one to, 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 to program the cards. So she programmed the first cards. 
Um, she didn't get it to technically work mechanically, which is maybe that's the mislead in the film, is mechanically they could figure it out how to get it to run, but they couldn't get it to calculate properly. And they weren't versed in Fortran. And they were just, they were starting from zero as she was. And she was just faster and smarter. That's a dramatization, right, of, of it like clicking on, you know. So yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the studio wrote that quote, but that's on the poster. Sounds like the studio. That's the studio wrote. quote. <laughs> I didn't write that quote, so I, uh, I don't have to answer that question. Well, the, well, the, but the, I will. The question is, what, what, what do you hope for people to take away from the film? <sighs> that's a, that's a, you know, look, not to sound utopian or saintly, but we're in a time right now where you're, we're all in it together, right? Where the country's split and very much divided. And it's just, to me, it's like this was a chance to show a period in in our history, as tough as it was, where black and white, male and female, put everything aside to achieve the greatest mission of, of the time. And they did it together. And I think Kevin Costner's line is the movie for me. We all get there together or we don't get there at all. And so that's the message I'd like to leave out there. And, and now that I said it, maybe it is out there. I think that's kind of a good message right now. In the back there? One yeah. more question. Oh, one more question we got. For the love of God, make it a good question. <laughs> no pressure. What was your relationship with the cameraman? Uh, I didn't have a relationship with the camera, the camera woman, the cameraman. Oh, Forgive There's me. There's only 3% of the world's DPs are women, and that's one of them. Mandy Walker. She did a great uh, job. She did a great job. Yeah. She's, you know, Mandy Walker carries a, her light meter here, and right next to her she has his own, her lipstick. <laughs> her red lipstick, so it's check the light. And, the, and she's, fa she's fantastic, human being, and um, did not know her before this, and just had met a bunch of uh, DPs as normal with the process, and just fell in love with her work and her mm -hmm. energy, and she just, you know, she just, I, I, there's nothing, I can't say enough about her. Well, Ted, on behalf of everybody, I want to personally thank you for making a very fine film. Thanks for listening to this DGA Q&A. Check out past episodes of the podcast by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at dga.org slash podcast. We'll have a lot more episodes coming your way over the next several weeks, so stay tuned. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Director's Cut on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or our SoundCloud page so you won't miss an episode. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America, Music is by Dan Wally.